0: which looks like lots of them are going. Uh, And if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Samuel 16. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, Again, my name is Russ. I am one of the pastors here at SOMA. And we are so glad that you could come and find a home here. Um, It's really important for us as we kind of start the school year and get ready for everything that's going on um, with the fall. Um, we're in a series where we're talking about the kingdoms of Israel in the Old Testament. So we're specifically talking about King Saul, King David, King Solomon over the next few weeks. And one thing that we see over and over of the stories of the kings of Israel is that they are people who, the kings are people who sometimes they listen to God's voice and things work out well for them. But at other times, they try to build their own kingdom and it doesn't work out so well for them. Um, And that's a story of kings Thousands of years ago, but that's also our own story We may not be kings But we sometimes want to run our own kingdom to rule our life in the way that we want to rule it and it doesn't work out so well for us sometimes And part of us doing this is sometimes we put on a different show for people on the outside and we keep certain things to ourselves on the inside. Uh, I have three kids, and they are nine, seven, and four. And a lot of you know my kids, and you, you know that my youngest one, if, if there's something that, is, uh, that you would think a four-year-old girl would like, she likes that thing. Um, purses. Dresses, makeup, dolls, lipstick, all of that stuff. Um, She was at my mom's this week and said that she wanted as many dresses as she could get. That's just the way she is. Um, But my nine-year-old daughter is different. Um, She's into different things, and um, all three of my kids are different. And if you know them, you kind of know the personality of my kids. And this isn't just true with my kids or any kids. This is true with all of us. But some of the things you don't see about my kids are the things that you don't see when they're in the house and nobody else is around. Like when I'm yelling at them for an hour to put clothes on because we have people coming over to our house and they still don't do that, right? Those are the things that you you don't see. And as much... As much fun it is to talk about kids who do that, I think we do that as adults. We put on a show for other people to see, and inside there are just things going on. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, Let's pray together. Uh, God, we... Come to the Scriptures and and ask for your wisdom. We pray that you would speak through these words that were written so long ago. We know that there's power in these words, and we, we want to not just read them and learn about them, but we want to experience the power that comes with these stories and these words. So may we be moved by the power of this story this morning, and may it change who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. First Samuel 16, the first 13 verses of this chapter. Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, How can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied. And say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, This is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemaiah, but Samuel said, Neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields washing the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him, he was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, This is the one, anoint him. So as David stood among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. And Samuel returned to Ramah. Now, this is. Uh, Early on in the reign of Saul, who is the first king of Israel, and Saul is the people of Israel, when they first move into their land, they are ruled by judges, sort of like a a supreme court with no president. And God is the one who's kind of showing Israel how to be a people, but They keep looking at all the other countries and they say we want a king and so they keep asking for a king over and over And God tells them you do not want a king. You do not need a king But they keep asking for it over and over and finally God even though he knows The king is not going to be good for them. He gives them what they want Because they want to be like everybody else And so he gives them a king And Saul is the first king. And Saul is everything that you would imagine a king to be. He is the oldest in his family. He's strong. He's handsome. He is a a powerful ruler. But pretty early in Saul's reign, he starts being selfish. He lets lets his position um, kind of dictate what he does. And God says, I'm not going to deal with this anymore. I'm already choosing somebody to come up behind Saul and be a new, different type of ruler. And so he speaks to Samuel, the prophet, and tells Samuel to find a replacement for Saul, even though Saul is still the king. And Samuel is nervous about this, Because if Saul finds out that Samuel is already looking for his replacement, then he knows Saul's going to have him killed. And the people are nervous about it in Bethlehem, where Jesse is from, because they know Samuel's a prophet. And sometimes prophets can have good news, but sometimes they can have bad news. And Jesse goes, and he finds, or Samuel goes, and he finds Jesse's son as a replacement for Saul while Saul is still on the throne, and they go through all these different sons. And when they, when they go through all of them, Samuel says, There's, this is, none of these are going to be king, so you must have another son. And, and Jesse says, I have the, the young one, and he's out tending the sheep. And But he's not, he's not king material. He's too young. And Jesse says, go get him. And when his son David shows up, Samuel says, this is the one. This is the one that God has called to be king. And he says something in this passage that we have started to, to say a lot in our world. And that is, people look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Now, this is something that we say everywhere we go. It's not important what you look like on the outside. What matters is the type of person you are on the inside. You know, like, lots of people are beautiful in the face, but ugly in the heart. We say this in lots of different ways. You can look good and have a good image, but it's on the inside that counts. Um, We say this all the time. We tell it to children. It is something we try to live by, but our world doesn't really live by. We live in a world that still values uh, status and beauty and appearance over the substance of one's soul. And when we, when we say this, I don't even think we mean it in the way that God means it in this passage, because we will look at it and say, well, for instance, the, the, first, the first son, Eliab, that, that they go to, who's not worthy, it's easy for us to say, well, Eliab is probably not a good person. And David is a good person and that's why God picked David and not Eliab. And that may be true, but we don't we don't know that to be true because we don't know anything about David's oldest brother after this story. There's mention of him once or twice after this, but it doesn't talk about him very much. For all we know about Eliab, he could have been a faithful husband, a good father, a generous giver. We don't know that much about him. And as we're gonna see in the next couple weeks, David is not a good guy in a lot of circumstances. Uh, David commits murder, he steals the wife of one of his soldiers, he um, relies on his own strength, he, he disobeys God lots of times. And so it's not just that David is good and his older brother Eliab is bad. It's more about what the world looks at. Because what God says is people look at what's on the outside. In other words, the world values what's on the outside. And God does not value that in the same way that people do. God does not value that in the same way that the world does. It's hard for us to think of this because we're not ruled by kings anymore. But throughout most of human history, kings have been the normal way to be ruled. Um, I was reading this book about World War I earlier this week, and when World War I started... It started because the prince, basically, of a small nation, Austria-Hungary, who was gonna be king one day, was killed uh, by an assassin from another country who did not like the country that he was gonna be king of. And so they killed, and he was gonna be king one day. His dad was gonna die, he was gonna be king. And when World War I broke out, Germany was ruled by uh, a Kaiser or a Caesar like a king. Um, Russia had a Czar like a king, and England had uh, uh, like a king as well, even though probably not in the same way that we would think of like older kings. so you're talking about a hundred years ago, and these major powers around the world are still, rule, are still ruled by this system of when the king dies, his son takes over. And this is the way Israel is ruled as well, because that's the way everybody else is ruled. So not only does the son take over, it is the oldest son that takes over. So when Samuel goes to anoint a different king, he's nervous, not just because he's going behind Saul's back, But because Saul's oldest son is supposed to be the king. And God says, no, 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 this is not... I know this is how the world works. This is not how I work. And the reason why Jesse looks at the oldest son first, or Samuel looks at the oldest son first, is because he's the oldest son, he should be the king, because in the world that I live in, the oldest son is the one who rules. And God says, it's not the oldest one you're looking for, it's the younger one. So he takes these systems and this this way of thinking that the entire world has, and he turns it upside down. And he says, I don't value the same things that you value. I just don't. I don't value the same things the world values. I just don't. And so when we think about things that are important in our own world today, and we think about the way the world operates, it's very easy, even if we're a Jesus follower, to get caught up in this is the way the world works, and we're supposed to just do the things that the world does because that's what people say is important. And we often don't think about what it means to look at the heart of people, or situations, or circumstances, and we just get caught up in, in what the world values. Um, I have uh, lots of friends who are, uh, they're single, they are driven, and they are successful, and they are uh, Jesus-following people, and a lot of times, they are caught up in... There's no other way to say this. They're caught up in terrible dating relationships sometimes. And there's like verbal abuse back and forth. And there is lying that goes on between them. And sometimes cheating. And, and they're even talking about getting married to these people... And you ask them, if you ever have a serious conversation with some, some of my friends about this, like, why are you still with this person? And they think, in some way or another, well, I'm at a, I'm at a point in my life where people expect me to get married. And this is a person that I kind of like, and maybe that's, the, maybe that's just the thing I'd, that I should do. And no matter how awful the relationship seems to be, they stay in it because they think that's what the world expects them to do. Because eventually, I need to get married, and that's just what I need to do. And, you know, there's, there's times when I see people who I know who are successful, driven, Jesus-loving people, and I'll have a conversation with them about serious topics sometimes, and I'll enjoy the conversation I have with them. But then I'll see some of the things they they post online where they'll talk to somebody who disagrees with them, and I'm like, who is this person? And even if they disagree, and maybe even I agree with what they're saying, they're hateful, and they're awful, and they're talking terribly to a person that they barely even know if they know at all. And, and I, I will talk to them about why do you have these conversations with people online in this way and It's some sort of version of this is the way people talk now This is just this is just a good way to discuss things with people when I don't know anybody who's read like a Twitter post and be like I totally changed my mind on this topic and I'm so glad this this person showed me the light, right? That's not the way this works, but you see people say awful things about each other who don't even know each other because that's the way the world works. And um, uh, there's, there's this quote, it's been quoted lots of times, but we even, I know people who are in Like, big mounds of debt. And they're not in big mounds of debt over a house. They're in big mounds of debt over furniture, you know? And it reminds me of this quote that I read one time that has been quoted a lot. And it's a lot of times, particularly here in the U.S., we buy things we don't need with money that we don't have to impress people that we don't like or sometimes we don't even know. And, and we do that because we live in a culture that tells us that that is the way we're supposed to live. And we'll, we'll open up our devotion book in the morning and we'll go to church on the weekends and we'll sit in a small group during the week and we'll talk about what Jesus is doing in our life, and then we go back into the world, and we live right in line with the way the world expects us to live. In all of these stories that we're gonna read about Saul and David and Solomon, we're gonna see that there are times that they operate in a way a king is supposed to operate. Because that's the way kings in their day worked. And when they live in that way, it's almost always a disaster for them. And it's almost always a disaster for their people. Because oftentimes, they don't look at the world, or at people, or at situations. They don't look at the heart. They look and approach everything in the way the world does. And I think if we're going to live as Jesus followers in a world that has expectations of the way we look on the outside then we need to spend lots of time evaluating the stuff on our insides. Like, is there any unconfessed sin in your life? I mean, that's a scary thing to think about, and it's, it's even easy to, to talk about, but if we start to look at the things in our hearts that tear us away from God... We don't like spending much time on them. So what we normally do is we think about it for a second and then we ignore it and then we just go back to pretending like everything is okay. Do we know people who are hurting? And are we scared to really dig down into the messy parts of their lives because it's easier to just talk about the weather. I just... I think it's really easy to talk about what's going on the outside, And really hard to talk about what's going on in our hearts and in the hearts of people we love, that causes so much devastation in the world. Um, And we even do this with the way we talk about um, social topics or politics or we, we talk about these big, giant things that a lot of times are out of our control to do anything, but then we refuse to get engaged in the dark places in our own cities, in our own communities, and even in our own homes. And if we are going to be a people who live as Jesus lived and who changed the world, which is what we want to do, then sometimes we have to make our own beds. And sometimes we have to clean our own rooms. And sometimes we need to look at our own hearts. And it's easy, a lot of times, to get in arguments with people. And it's easy to make judgments about people that we barely know or don't know at all. But it gets messy when we start trying to do things about it. And it even gets messy when we ask God to do something about it in our own lives. But at the end of the day, people look at the outside, and they judge the outside. But God wants to do the work in our hearts. And we have to be open to letting Him do the work. And that's the challenge for us. If we're going to be people who take the kingdom of God to the dark places in our world, we have to look at our own hearts and we have to do the work of allowing God to change us and heal us. Because God looks at the heart. Um, Let's pray together.